and welcome. If this is your first time tuning in, know that God honors and blesses those who diligently seek his word. Or if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. You know, we learn from the book of Jeremiah as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. So be prepared to power up your life as you join me and others each week as we explore all things pertaining to Jesus. Now let's center ourselves and prepare to enter into God's presence. I'm going to speak over you a benediction, which comes from Moses's brother, priest Aaron, and it comes directly from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Well, again, welcome back. Today is our final day exploring the book of James. We are upon this final chapter, chapter five. If you'd like to follow along with me, we're going to begin with verse one and take it through verse six. And this is a warning that James gives to the rich. He says, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh in hell. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every whim. Now your hearts are nice and fat, ready for slaughter. You have condemned and killed good people who had no power to defend themselves against you. You see, friends, James is boldly coming against riches by proclaiming them as worthless. It's not the people who are worthless. Really grab a hold of this teaching. We have all we need in Jesus. When Christ returns, our money will be utterly worthless. We cannot buy ourselves into heaven no matter how much wealth we have amassed. Here, hear me when I say this. Money is not the problem. Our Christian leaders require money to operate their ministries. Missionaries need money to proclaim the good news. We all need money to support our families. Recently, we've discussed that it's the love of money, not the money itself that leads to evil. The verse is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, and it's often misquoted. This love of money causes some people to oppress others in order to get more. Our focus as Christians must be upon a godly foundation and not that of the world. 
Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. Paul was warning Christians not to copy the behaviors of the world because they're usually selfish and often corrupting. Wise Christians decide how much worldly behavior is off limits for them as not to be subjected to conforming and caving to the world under pressure. Our refusal not to conform must go deeper than just behavior and customs, though. The new roots that we are required of us must take place deep within our hearts, therefore impacting our soul and mind. And we do this by letting God transform the way that we think, becoming a new person. This happens when the Holy Spirit fills us by renewing, re-educating, and redirecting our minds. You see, when we became believers and we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our spirit immediately was transformed. So 33.3% of us is immediately perfect in Christ. Now our soul or the mind where our brain is housed is what we are constantly working at transforming. When our minds are transformed, we live to honor and obey God. Romans chapter 8 verse 5, Paul says it this way, Those who are dominated by a sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Paul is dividing people up into two categories here. First, those who let themselves be controlled by their sinful nature and those who follow the Holy Spirit. We all would be subjected to the first category had Jesus not given us an out. Jesus brings life and peace. It's a rarity that someone freely accepts saving salvation only to become a backslider, in my opinion. With that said, it's a daily choice to follow Jesus and live our lives for God. When we encounter the complexities of life, we can stop and ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus taught about money by saying this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten and rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. When we store up treasures in heaven, this is more than giving God our tithe. It also includes all acts of obedience to God. In a sense, when we give our money to God's work or to God's kingdom, it's like an investment right into heaven. However, seeking to please God and fulfilling his purposes yields better returns.
In reality, God doesn't need our money. He wants our obedience. When we do this, our spiritual vision is illuminated. We see the world from God's point of view. When James refers to good people, this most likely was a reference about defenseless people who were probably poor laborers. Poor people were unable to pay their debts. When this occurred, they were often thrown into prison, forced to sell all of their possessions, or possibly even forced to sell family members into slavery. Because these poor people could not work off their debts, they oftentimes died from starvation. God viewed this and called it murder. In God's economy, hoarding money, exploiting employees, and living self-indulgently will not go unnoticed. Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Listen in on what Jesus said. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. This parable shows us how the Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are completely different from ours and his ways are far beyond anything we could imagine. The rabbis of the day taught that people should forgive those who offend us, but only three times. Peter stepped up and attempted to look generous, asking Jesus if seven times was enough to forgive someone. But Jesus shocks us by answering 70 times seven. The meaning is it's not the number in the intent. 
We should always forgive those who are truly repentant, no matter how many times they ask. In biblical times, serious consequences existed for people who could not pay back their debts. If the debtor ended up in prison, it was hoped that his possessions would be sold off or a wealthy relative would come forward. Otherwise, they risked remaining in prison for life. When we take an inventory of our life and recognize how God has forgiven us of all our sins, we should not withhold forgiveness from another. Now we're continuing on with patience and suffering. So if you're following along with me, turn back to James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. Patience and suffering is what James said we can expect. Dear brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who eagerly look for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They patiently wait for the precious harvest to ripen. You too must be patient and take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, my brothers and sisters, or God will judge you. For look, the great judge is coming. He is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Job is an example of a man who endured patiently. From his experience, we see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good, for he is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned for it. The King, Jesus Christ, is coming back. We as Christians are like the farmer who plants seeds and has to wait. There is much to be done for the kingdom of God as we wait. We, like the farmer, live by faith, looking forward toward the future reward. For our labors, we don't know the set time Christ will come. Therefore, we shouldn't live like he's not coming. We must work faithfully to build his kingdom all the way through till the end and he returns. We all must take responsibility and be aware of the potential to attempt to blame shift when things go wrong. And instead of judging others for their shortcomings, we must remember Jesus is going to judge ours. Over the course of the Bible, many prophets suffered persecution. I mean, just listen to this list. Isaac was persecuted by the Philistines. Moses was persecuted by the Israelites. David was persecuted by Saul and others. The priests of Nob were persecuted by Saul and Duag. Prophets were persecuted by Jezebel. Elijah and Micah were persecuted by Ahab and Jezebel. Elisha was persecuted by a king of Israel, probably Joram. Hanani was persecuted by King Asa. Zechariah was persecuted by Joash. Uriah was persecuted by Jehoiakim. 
Jeremiah was persecuted by Zedekiah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were persecuted by King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was persecuted by national leaders. Job was persecuted by Satan. John the Baptist was persecuted by Herod and Herodias. Jesus was persecuted by the religious leaders. Peter and John also were persecuted by religious leaders. And Stephen was also the first martyr persecuted by religious leaders. The church, we find that the church was persecuted by Saul and others. James and Peter were persecuted by Herod Agrippa I. Paul, as he became later after Saul and his conversion, was persecuted by the Jews and the city officials. Timothy was persecuted, and we don't know exactly who was behind it. John was probably persecuted by the Romans. As Christians, our lives should be lived above reproach. When we say yes, suffice it to say it's a yes. When we say no, it's no. Our reputations are founded on truth and honesty. We don't lie or attempt to manipulate others. So now moving forward in chapter 5, we're at verse 13 through 18, where James teaches us about the power of prayer. He says, are any among you suffering? They should keep on praying about it. Keep on keeping on, right? Keep on praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And their prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. Any, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for the next three and one half years. Then he prayed for rain and down it poured. The grass turned green and the crops began to grow again. A part of the reason God inspired people to bond together and create fellowship and establish the church is so that his body of believers would be covered with support and prayer in times of suffering. We all need someone in our lives. The elders should be on call to respond to members' illnesses while the church must be attuned to the church's needs. Now it's important to understand whomever is praying over you or laying hands upon you must have faith. And I'm talking rock solid faith. James says in chapter 5 verse 15, And their prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. The prayer offered in faith is not referring to the sick person, but rather it's referring to the people praying over the sick person. You see, God heals 
faith doesn't, and all prayers that are answered are within the Father's will. But prayer is a part of God's healing process. Jesus has made it possible for us to go to God with our need for forgiveness. However, confession of our sins to one another is still an important part of the church. For example, if we have sinned against another person, we must ask him or her for forgiveness. If our sin has affected the church, we must confess it openly and publicly. In Christ's kingdom, every believer is a priest to other believers. Prayer needs to be our first line of defense. This is a Christian's most powerful weapon within our armory. Prayer carries power. The results we achieve are often greater than we thought possible. Some people view prayer as a last resort, something reserved when all else fails. That approach is just backward. Because God's power is infinitely greater than ours, it only makes sense to rely upon it. God also encourages us to do so. Finishing strong, James gives us two verses of scripture discussing, restoring, wondering believers. If you're following along, I'm reading from James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 now. My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back again, you can be sure that the one who brings that person back will save that sinner from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Clearly, James is giving us an example of a believer who is backslid from the truth. This is serious business, and the person needs to repent. Believers can take the initiative to pray for this person and act in love, then meet the person where he or she is, bringing them back to God and to forgiveness. The entire book of James has been about faith in action. Right living demonstrates our faith being placed into action. Our churches must serve with compassion and speak lovingly and truthfully to one another while we're all being obedient to God. The entire body of believers should be an example of what heaven on earth looks like. Through this example, we should be drawing or a draw for others toward Jesus. Because we believe God's word, we will live it out daily in our actions. And the Bible is not merely something we read and place back upon the shelf when we're finished. It's something that takes root within our spirit. It's something that we do. We act upon it. Our belief, our faith, and our trust must all have hands and feet, and they must be the hands and feet of us. James relied heavenly, heavily excuse me, on Jesus' teachings. His book holds a lot of similarities to the Sermon on the Mount teachings that came out of the book of Matthew. And if we look at the lessons, we see whenever trouble comes our way, we need to be joyful. When our endurance is fully developed, we will be strong in character and ready for anything. When we ask God, He will answer us. 
Those who are poor, who don't amount to much by the world's standards, should be glad, for God has honored us. And watch out for our anger. It can be dangerous. We must be merciful to others as God is merciful to us. Our faith must express itself within our actions. Blessed are the peacemakers. They plant in peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. When we humble ourselves and we realize our dependence upon God, he will lift us up. And we're not to speak evil against each other. If we do, we're criticizing God's law. Perhaps you've listened to other episodes where I've talked about the royal command. That's God's law to love our neighbor. Treasures on earth will only rot away and be eaten by moss, stored up eternal treasures in heaven is what we want. Be patient in our suffering as God's prophets were patient. We're to be honest in our speech. We're just to say a simple yes or no so that we won't sin. That was quite the list of similarities between James and the Sermon on the Mount. So friends, I ask you now, if you've not been spiritually reborn, wouldn't now be a good time? God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A person must confess belief in his son, Jesus, by professing with their mouth. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. We can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus. But here's what we can do. We can show Jesus our gratitude by growing and making efforts to obey him deepening our relationship with him daily. So today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you to step up, take a bold leap of courage, flex your faith, and openly confess after me. Father God, today I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I am inviting you to come into my heart and stay. Make it your permanent residence. I confess your shed blood washed away my sin from the top of my head to the soles of my feet at the cross upon Calvary. Amen. Friends, I've got good news. If you just prayed that prayer of salvation, you have been born again and saved spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the Holy Spirit 
and consider growing and joining a good Bible-based church surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will help to build you up and edify your faith in Jesus. Now, allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special children's podcast airs on Wednesdays when we're not in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love and action looks like, biblical trust, and so many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of all things Jesus. So please join me. And if you like this episode, you found value in it, make sure to subscribe, ensuring that you're going to get the latest releases as they become available. And friends, occasionally I do reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you are looking for something that has inspiring content and is compelling, pick up a copy of this from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It is full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember you have been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And John gives us this final blessing in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.